Hello and welcome to the BNA Talks podcast. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the team at BNA. In this podcast, this term, we are working our way through Mark's Gospel and we are on chapter two. If this is your first time listening, how this works is I'm going to read the whole chapter, but pausing at different points. And we're going to talk just about things that emerge from the sections we've just read, um, what we can learn and how it can make a difference as we follow Jesus or discover following Jesus. As we begin, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that... um, your word is living and active, and so we pray that as we, we come to your word now, as we sit under your word, that by your spirit you would speak to us, and we would learn more about you and about us, and uh, we would be changed. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 1 sets up um, this new thing, this new one, Jesus, uh, and the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has drawn near, repent and believe the good news. And then Mark um, ends the chapter with the healing of a man with leprosy and carries on from there. So reading chapter 2 from verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home quick pause so Capernaum seems to be the base the the home base for kind of Jesus Inc as it were so this is where uh, his base of Jesus has been on tour and he's come home the people heard that he'd come home they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get to him get to him Sorry, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. The Greek there literally says they unroofed the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Right, that's 12 verses. There is an awful lot in them. Um, But here's some themes to pull out. Firstly, um, the role of faith in the Christian life. Um, so Jesus sees the faith of the people who bring um, the, their paralyzed friend to him. Um, their inner conviction, their faith in, who, in, in the fact that Jesus can do something here um, leads to action. Faith always flows out in action. Um, James says that faith without works is nothing. Um, it's not that we have to do stuff in order to get faith or we have to in order to do stuff again we'll we'll remind ourselves about this uh, time and time again as we go th- through the gospel we don't have to do stuff in order to get God's love but actually when we have faith um, we act um, and so what we're seeing is 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 the fact that these guys their faith in Jesus and they probably don't yet know who Jesus is and what he's ultimately uh, come to do but their faith has created a conviction that he can help their friend and that has led to action literally to um, destroying the roof of a house so that is just a reminder for all of us that actually um, if we have faith it will change how we live if we have faith we will change how we live so they've lowered their friend down uh, what they want is they want Jesus to heal him so he can walk home and of course Jesus um 
says this amazing thing. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's a couple of things going on there. The first thing is that in, in the world of Jesus, in that world um, and in Jewish thinking, um, sin and sickness were often um, located together. So actually, if you were ill, it was probably because of some sin in your life. And so so when somebody saw there's another story where and the disciples point out um, a paralyzed man and say, who sinned, um, you know, this man or his or his family, that actually that sin and sickness go together. Now, we know that is true because actually sin is like a virus that's got into the system, as it were. And so all, in our fallen world, um, the sicknesses that we suffer, the things that go wrong are because we live in a sinful world. Um, but actually what they were doing was correlating them like, you know, you have sinned, therefore you, you are specifically ill. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he, he's speaking into the culture and to kind of link they have. The other thing, of course, that comes out of that is the offense of that statement. So the teachers of the law who are now turning up and watching out for what Jesus is up to describes him as blaspheming. Why? Because, well, what is sin? Sin is an offense against God. Sin is an offense against God. And if you offend somebody, the only person who can forgive you is the person you have offended. So I think I've used this illustration before in lots of other places. But if 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 I hit you, somebody else can't come and forgive me on your behalf. You have to forgive me. I have to seek forgiveness from you. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's stepping into um, the place of God. He is declaring the forgiveness that only God can forgive. So no wonder the Pharisees think he's blaspheming. The key thing there is for us remembering that is actually, yes, we do wrong towards one another, but actually, ultimately, it's God who we need to seek forgiveness from. It's why um, daily prayers begin every morning with confession, knowing that actually we need to come before God and choose to receive his mercies afresh every morning, receive his power for living um, a righteous life from him uh, every morning and recognizing that actually he is in charge he is overall uh, and we need him so jesus says your sins are forgiven they go whoa only god can forgive sins you're blaspheming now then it says this immediately jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking now that could be because jesus is the son of god and uh, there's something unique about him but actually in the life of the church, and we see this uh, in the book of Acts and in the letters and in the history of the church, God gives people um, spiritual insight to a situation. So actually lots of people uh, um, listening to this, you might go, actually, I have been in situations where I've realized something, I've known something, and that's something that the spirit of God does. So Jesus knows in his spirit that they're thinking this. And so he takes them on. So he challenges them. He says, well, what is it easier to say? I could say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven and you wouldn't see any change. Or I could say, Get up your mat and walk, which is like, that's a miracle. And so, so Jesus then says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, he says, get up and walk. And the guy does. What Jesus is doing there is, is, is declaring the authority he has, the authority to forgive sins, and then proving that he has that authority by healing the man. Do you see that? He declares the authority and then demonstrates that he has that authority by healing by healing the paralyzed man. He uses the phrase son of man there, which is a phrase Mark likes to use a lot. And Jesus identifies himself as the son of man, who is a character from Daniel chapter seven, who uh, is the one that is, is another name for the Messiah, the one the Jews are looking at. So Jesus is unashamedly basically going, 
I am the one from Daniel chapter 7, the coming Messiah. I am God. I can forgive sins. And so that you know, watch this guy get up and walk. So no wonder everybody is amazed. Jesus backs up his claims indeed and action and and we the people of God are called to do the same called to um, proclaim the kingdom and demonstrate the kingdom so that people can hear and can see oh that was up to chapter that was up to verse 12 let's read on from verse 13 so Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners once again Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. A couple of things that jump out there. First of all, um, if you don't know much about tax collectors, the thing about a tax collector is they are intensely disliked in the literature of the day. They're likened to murderers and robbers for lots of reasons. Um, they they worked with the Romans. They had lots of contact with Gentiles. So, um, But they, in order to be a tax collector, you had to be a little bit dishonest because uh, you took money from people and you kept some of it for yourself. So truly, truly hated people. And we see again with the call when Jesus calls people into discipleship and to follow him. It is a leaving of everything. Follow me, Jesus says. And Levi leaves his booth where he would have been collecting his tax and gets up and goes and then that flows out to all the other people who Levi might have known. So a sinner, sin, the phrase sinners, it's kind of a catch-all for all those people who would have been seen as outcasts in, in the Jewish world of the day. And for Jesus to have fellowship with them um, implies acceptance, implies acceptance. Uh, Jesus is not tainted um, by being with them, but rather he is drawing them back into the relationship with God that they were invited for. It's similar to what we talked about last week. You know, Old Testament, touch a leper, you become unclean. New Testament, touch a leper, they get healed. Uh, Old Testament, hang out with the sinners and the outcasts, you become tainted. New Testament, go to the sinners and the outcasts and draw them back into relationship and righteousness with God. So Jesus accepts these people and loves these people but crucially of course he doesn't leave them where they are follow me so the acceptance of the outcasts and the sinners is not is not a kind of hey everything's all right it's an acceptance of them and an invitation to come and to follow an invitation to change and this section ends with what some writers call um jesus mission statement so if the declaration in chapter one is the kingdom of God is drawn near, repent and believe the good news. The mission statement in chapter two, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come, uh, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it's just, a, um, and Jesus is saying, I am the doctor um, we all need, because actually who's, who is good but God alone, and righteousness comes from God alone. So Jesus is the doctor that we all need. And that's the kind of a, the challenge to the Pharisees. Um, really? Do you not need me? That's so exciting. Um, and it's the call of us, the church, to go, to, to accept and to welcome, to have fellowship with the outcasts and then to invite them to follow Jesus with us and to be changed by him. It's this continuous theme of the gospel. Forgiveness and restoration is possible because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. 
some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But yours are not. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Um, Jesus is just again reminded there is a new way coming. So um, Jesus would have been seen as um, being responsible for his uh, followers. And so they're not fasting. Why are you not fasting? And he likens something to the culture of the day where you would suspend some fasting um, for celebration, for example, a wedding. And he says, actually, I'm here with them. This is like a massive celebration. And of course, he says, there will be a time when I'm not here and then they will fast. So we know that in the Christian life and in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, when you fast, that fasting is part of the Christian life. So this is a kind of a, a unique bit to that time when those followers were with Jesus on earth. They didn't need to fast. Um, but there is a time. But fasting is normal in the Christian life. The key thing here, though, is this is this newness. And there's two ways Jesus used the illustration of the cloth and the wineskin. First of all, he talks about an old cloth. You can't put a new patch on it. So the new can't just come onto the old. Nor can you put the new into an old wineskin. And so it's just that reminder that with Jesus comes this this mass, this change and this break in, in kind of how God um, has been dealing with people. There is something new coming. A new era has been enabled because of the incarnation, because of the cross, the resurrection. And that's the one that we step into. And just on a, if I can go on a quick side, that new era is focused in on the person and the work of Jesus. And so that's why Jesus can say that. We don't constantly talk about new wineskins and, and old clothes with regards to the gospel and the doctrines of the Christian faith as we carry on through the next 2000 years of history. We have the scriptures and we stick with those. So this, this, this massive change is through and in the person of Jesus. It's not something that we all get to decide again and again and again around the key doctrines. It's um, it's something that is only because of Jesus. And our task as the church is to make sure that whatever format we meet as church, however we um, display and can talk about the kingdom that is consistent with this book in front of me here. Makes sense. Anyway, very good. Right. That was up to 22. Here's the final bit of this, this chapter from verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Every grain field had sections that were left aside for the travellers and for foreigners. So that's not an illegal act. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The key here is the Sabbath. He answered, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God at the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Um, so he, he, that's, um, if you want to know, it's from uh, 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 2. Um, David um, needs some food. In some of the writing, they think it even happened on the Sabbath. The key point here is people have forgotten that the primary purpose of the Sabbath was for rest and for relationship, not for stress and for rules. That the Sabbath was a gift given by God for for the people to enjoy. And the Sabbath was a great sign of um, God's rule and reign and care. And what it had become was kind of a stressful event where you had to 
keep all sorts of rules uh, and not do all sorts of things in order to you know be good on the sabbath and so he's calling out a culture where a gift from god has been turned and become kind of a yoke that people need to carry i wonder how often we do that without realizing it when a gift from god becomes a religious thing or a rule we have to carry and then the thing he says is that the son of man back to that phrase from daniel chapter 7 is lord even of the sabbath that he talks about his authority i have the authority over the sabbath over your rest sabbath is a really good principle um the jews would have had it from uh, friday well they still do but from sunset on friday through to sunset on sunday on saturday a 24 hour period set aside to remind them that god is in charge that he created uh, a 24-hour period set aside for rest, for relaxation, for fellowship. A 24-hour period as a gift to enjoy. Our world is quite complex, but I wonder, have we got a rhythm in our life where we set aside time to remind ourselves that we're not in charge, God is in charge. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Have we got a, a period where we rest, where we enjoy relationship with one another and God, where we let go of stress and rules? Have we got a period in our lives, a way of living that is a great sign to the world around us that we know we're not in charge? God is in charge. That's the end of chapter two. I wonder as you've listened and as you've read, what has struck you? Again, the three questions. What have you heard about God that made you go, ah? Oh. What did you hear as a follower of Jesus that you knew you needed to hear? And what has struck you um, that would matter for the people that you love and serve. God bless, and uh, I'll see you. Well, I won't see you, but you know what I mean. Next week for chapter three.